we want to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and I want to read from verse 8 through to 24 this morning. And before we read God's word together, let's pray together, shall we? Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you, by your flawless word, would teach us great truth, that we might live out to your glory, so that others may know that you are God and worship you. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we'll read from verse 8. Paul has already been encouraging this Corinthian church to excel in their giving and be generous in their giving. But let's see what he says following on from that. Verse 8. I am not commanding you, he says, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. I thank God who put into the heart of Titus the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he is coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. And we are sending along with him the brother who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. What is more, he, has, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering, which we administer in order to honor the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. We want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift, for we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of men. In addition, we are sending with them our brother who has proved, often proved to us in many ways that he is zealous. And now even more so because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you. As our brothers, they are representatives of the churches and an honor to Christ. Therefore, show these men the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you so that the church, churches can see it. Amen. This is God's word. Isn't it incredible to think that three men could be referred to as an honor to Christ? 
ESV puts it, they are the glory of Christ. What does that mean? What does it mean that people sitting in a church like this who are genuine believers can be, by the way they live their lives, by the conduct of their lives, by the things that they put their hope and trust in, the things that they put their faith in, the way they spend their time, the way they spend their money, that they, you, could be referred to by some as the glory of Christ. What does that mean? Well, it's, an, it's in recognition, really, of the truth that as Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins and was raised again to life three days later, who later after that, having uh, taught his disciples and confirmed his resurrection, was ascended to the highest place, heaven, the right hand of the, very, of the Father, says to the church, you are my body. You are the ones who will carry this gospel. You are the ones who will carry my glory into all the world, to all the nations. We, the true church, are called to be the glory of Christ. And when it comes to the way we live our lives, we can either glorify the Lord Jesus Christ and display a true likeness of Jesus Christ to the whole world, starting with our friends, our family members, those around us in our city, or we can offer a poor reflection of Jesus by being totally unlike him and therefore bring the name of Jesus and the gospel of our Lord Jesus into disrepute. Which would you rather do? Or should I ask, what are you currently displaying? Let's narrow it in, zero it in. We're talking about giving after all. Let me say this, a lack of integrity in the practicalities of giving, in how we give our gifts, and a lack of integrity in a church's administration or use or handling of these gifts can seriously bring the name of Jesus Christ into disrepute and so quash any prospect of witnessing to his incredible glory and his magnificence and his beauty. I mean, we've all heard the horror stories, haven't we? Of people giving to the church in order to gain merit for themselves, <laughs> flashing their cash as they pop it in the plate. We've heard of those, sadly, the horror stories of those who embezzle and defraud members of churches by mishandling money, perhaps treasurers or church leaders doing that. Maybe worse still, in my mind anyway, we've heard the horror stories of, of these preachers that we see with aggressive, high-pressure tactics where flocks are fleeced not for gospel gain but for personal gain you see a lot of these folks on tv you understand well we want to stress here that that when it comes to our offering when it comes to giving in in charlotte chapel that we have no desire to line our own pockets and surely no desire even to seek just the comfort of the members here gathered in this building. Instead, we want 
to give giving and generosity the very place that God has planned to give it in the blueprint for his church. He has woven, you understand, selfless giving of gifts into the very fabric of his church so that even by our giving, we can become more and more like Jesus and so that our love for one another is made more plain and so that we spread the glory of his fame throughout the nations. We want the world to see the beauty and the splendor of Jesus, our King. And how, I mean, how is Jesus glorious? Look at verse 9 with me. Let's remember this. Let's memorize this verse. And let's get our kids to memorize this verse. For you know the grace, such undeserved favor that is ours in this. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, rich in terms of, he, I mean, he was in heaven. Angels worshipped him. We have often sung the song, you laid aside your majesty. He certainly did in coming down into this world, taking on flesh that he might be our God and king and our representative to die on the cross. You know, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sakes, he emptied himself of that and laid aside that, made himself poor. Why? So that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Not in a cash flow sense, but in a spiritual sense, as Ephesians 1 says, in him we have given every, every spiritual blessing in Christ. So then, with that in mind, if we recognize that even the abuse of the the privilege of giving and the misuse of gifts that the church is called to handle. How do we ensure the purity and integrity of giving and of the administration of this? This is exactly what Paul handles in our text today. We are not to give merely. Sorry, my notes are out of sync. There we go. Look with me first of all then at verse 10. The first thing I want us to see is that integrity is maintained in Christian giving where gifts are given voluntarily. Voluntarily. And this is what we see first and foremost, isn't it? That, that Paul here is giving advice. He's not actually commanding people to give. So verse 10 says, Here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Paul's been very careful here to ensure that the Corinthian church... Though they need some encouragement, as we've seen already in our, uh, in two Corinthians, earlier in 2 Corinthians 8, to excel in giving and to come good on their giving, uh, Paul is making no compulsory demands of them. Uh, he's already said that in verse 8, I am not commanding you. And even over, if you look in chapter 9, verse 5, uh, the ESV puts this, puts Paul's desire for the church to offer a willing gift, not an exaction. So it's not extortion, it's to be generous giving. And we know that governments may make legal demands of us in terms of the taxes that that we are to pay, but pastors can't, church leaders can't, and they certainly should not. So we don't uh, hand out direct debit forms to you when you become a member of this church and just say, you know, we're going to do whatever we want to do and whatever the need is at the end of the month then, and that's what we're going to take out of your account. That would be a bit scary, wouldn't it? 
We're not going to do that. Not unless you want to. No, I'm joking. No. See, this is exactly what the sermon's about. Being wary of people like me. I am joking. Please, do understand? I just thought someone's going to take that seriously. Anyhow. So Paul gives advice, not command. And Paul gives encouragement, you see, not rules. And I I want us really to understand why that is. You know why we do not make demands of you and command you to give even certain amounts and certain percentages? The reason is that when demands are in place, legalism rules. Legalism rules. And when that happens, gifts are given out of duty in the task rather than delight in God and delight in this joy and privilege and grace of being able to give to his work. See, we don't want people giving out of duty. We desire that all together as a church fellowship like this might say, we together love Jesus. And through our giving, we desire to have a vision for stewarding everything that the Lord has put in our hands, that he has graciously given us for caring for the body of Christ in different parts of the world, for planting churches different parts of the world, including here, for just doing his work. And we would love for the people of Charlotte Chapel to give according to what it says in chapter 9 and verse 7. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So although Paul here says to the Corinthians, I'm not about to make demands of you, he does say, you know, still though, this will be to your advantage. It will be to your benefit to give. And many of us know exactly what that's like, that when we give voluntarily and willingly, with heart and passion and belief behind what we're giving to, we know the joy of partnering with people in gospel work, whether it's here in Edinburgh or or throughout the whole world. We see this take shape in many different ways. But still, some of us, like the Corinthians, do need some encouragement. For some of us, our giving can seem that it's not with desire and and not with love and passion for what we're given to. For some, it feels like loss when we give. Some give begrudgingly. And some, perhaps, not at all. Well, Spurgeon says of one man, he gives as if he was parting with his blood. His fingers tremble and linger long over the shilling, which has to be extracted as forcibly as if it were a tooth. (laughs) Listen to this. One wonders that the Queen's image is left upon it when it has been held with such pressure. (laughs) That's brilliant. But it's true. But for some, it's true some of us hold on why is that well maybe we treasure our money more than we treasure Christ and the spread of the gospel the mission of the church my question for us is is our money and the resources that we have in our hands do they feel like seeds to us in our hands or do they feel like flowers in our hands let me explain what do you do with seeds you broadcast you throw you you sow seeds don't you the whole point of gaining something is you give it away what do we do with flowers 
we hold it close we treasure them we think they serve our purposes all that has been given to us by God has been given to us graciously to scatter to give and maybe we treasure our money and think it does only exist to serve our purposes and so we give begrudgingly perhaps or not at all maybe we've not understood really what it means to be a steward that all that we have and own is not indeed ours to keep but Christ's to steward he even says to all of us that when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ says you are not your own you were bought at a price and our commitment to what we have been bought to that is the gospel and gospel growth in the world until he comes is not something that we want to enter into begrudgingly but with joy and recognition with in recognition of all that we have been given in Christ every spiritual blessing in him and life eternal so the manager of Starbucks for example isn't entrusted with resources to make money to keep for himself he makes money essentially for Mr. Starbucks you understand sure he gets given a salary but that's all it's for the common good for the good of the the corporation if you like and I hesitate using business analogies but in the same sense we have been given all that we have been given that we might further spread the glory and the fame of our Lord Jesus Christ you understand that it's in giving voluntarily. It's in giving willingly as members of the church. Not begrudgingly, not dutifully in, in a legalistic sense. It's in doing all of that that integrity in giving is maintained. But now look with me at verse 11 and 12 and see that integrity is also maintained in Christian giving when the gift is actually given wisely. Okay, Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable, not according to what one, uh, acceptable according to what one has, not according to what, one, what he does not have. So integrity is maintained in Christian giving when the gift is given wisely. This is what Paul says, give according to what you have according to your ability essentially and though he's eager for them to give generously this Corinthian church he does not expect them to give beyond their means okay no in short he says when you are ready to give willingly and voluntarily give according to what you have been given now this is interesting Paul Paul has already pointed out that the Macedonian church um as an example of those who have given generously, have actually given beyond their means. Verse 3, they gave beyond their ability. And verse 4 tells us that even this was voluntary at their own insistence. But look at this. Paul doesn't ask the Corinthians to do likewise and say, you should also give beyond your means. He doesn't encourage them to consider giving until they are as poor as the Macedonians even. He encourages them to give according to their ability now some of us if not all of us have maybe made some bad decisions that obligate the means that we have and when Paul is referring to those means he basically means everything that God has placed in our hands to steward so it's the money in your bank 
It's the clothes on your back and your wardrobe. It's, it's everything. It's the, the home that you have and reside. All of these things are gracious gifts, really, from God. And we are to give according to what we have. So there's a reasonableness, there's a wisdom and a discernment that's necessary in all of this. And as I say, some of us have maybe made some bad decisions that obligate our means. Maybe we've spent money unwisely. Maybe even after last week's sermon, we think, actually, I do need to sit down with a budget and I do need to think about how I reallocate or redistribute where my money is going and how I'm using these resources. But there's a reasonable list, a a level-headedness that's required in giving. As Paul says, our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. And the basic principle that Paul has in mind here is um, is simply this, that Christians who have more than enough ought to share with those who don't have enough. So this is almost the same as really Galatians 6 chapter 10 encourages us. Do good to all, especially to those who are in the household of faith. Now, I want to point out that that this is a, a call to give according to what you have and to those according to their need. Now, it has to be said, this is not communism, okay? Uh, Karl Marx's famous communist slogan was essentially derived from this text, from each according to his ability to each according to his need. But he has taken this text completely out of context and applied it into his uh, philosophical ideal. Uh, But the Bible isn't teaching us that everybody should have the exact same amount uh, or have the exact same things. I think that's clear by the fact that, that some have plenty and some don't. And that there is a potential for that to fluctuate. It simply means, though, that when it comes to what people need, it's the joy and privilege of those who have the ability and the means in their possession to actually give and to actually help, seeing that it's not loss, but it's gain. It's gain for God's glory when it's given with wisdom and discernment and with willingness. I wonder if we have that kind of mentality. I think there's a marked generosity about this church, and that's an encouraging thing to see. But can we do more? Can we think through how we can do more and plan to do more? Can we think how we can be more selfless and looking away from ourselves? To see the needs of those around us in our church family? And do we see the need in our city and our world and say, I I can do something here? Or do we see the needs in our families and among our friends or in our city and our world and think, oh, I can't do something here? Well, maybe I do need to redirect and redistribute my funds so that according to the means that I have, I can do something. If the willingness is there, it makes the gift acceptable. There's one little objection that's commonly thrown in here when it calls to meeting people's needs, and whether it's in church life or in, or in the city. Well, they got themselves into that mess. <laughs> they can get themselves out of it, we've heard people say. I don't think we can use that argument or justify using that argument at all. 
we get ourselves tangled into a mess if we do because Jesus didn't leave us to pull our, ourselves out of the gutter of sin, did he? He didn't say, well, you got yourself into that mess. No. He came down into the gutter to pull us out of it. And that's a glorious thing. And should we not again seek to reflect his great glory as he cleared our spiritual debts and made us rich in him? We all take our turn helping and being helped. We all take our turn to give and all take our turn to receive. Everyone should have enough just as God's people, even in the desert, this is what the reference to the manna uh, is in this text. Um, In verse 15, as it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much. He who gathered little did not have too little. The main point in there is God provides enough for the community of believers. God provided enough for his people there. And an important lesson in, in that, in Israel's history, as they wandered in the desert and were fed with the manna, can you remember what happened if they hoarded too much? It rotted. And it stank. Stank probably to the extent that it would be evident to other people that that manna, that bread was being hoarded. The encouragement for us is to give freely and voluntarily with a passionate desire to reflect the glory of Christ, but to do that wisely, to not make ourselves a burden on others. Maybe you need to think this through a little bit more. Do you know that these CCF books that we often highlight, I'm not sure if this one's in the bookstall actually, but Rodney has about six or seven in his office. Uh, You'd be welcome to them. And he will not charge you. Because he's a kind and generous man. Um, This is a tremendous book. You know, it, it, it is a tremendous little help. 26 little pages. The first half of the leaflet really telling you about the fundamentals of, of what Christ has done for us and our desire to better steward his stuff. And then the last half of it is just practical advice on how to do that. Phil Doggart gave us a very helpful introduction to the ABCs of finance last week. He was going to be here to give us B of the ABCs of finance, but isn't able to, unfortunately. But we should be thinking these things through. Planning what we do with our resources. Knowing that when we do so, you know, it might feel mundane. But you know, when you change your bulbs from 80 watt bulbs to 5 watt bulbs, and you rechannel that money for the glory of God, hey, can you imagine? Can you imagine what we can do? Not just with the bulbs, but when we make changes like that. We need a bigger vision for this. We had Charlotte Chapler, I believe, making Christ look glorious in many ways. How can we do more and make more of an effort to make him, make his glory and his fame known? Well, that's looking at ensuring integrity in the giving of gifts. Now, verse 16 to 24, we look at ensuring integrity in the administration of those gifts. This is amazing. What you have in verses 16 to 22 here are three men who are responsible for, who are going to be handling this monetary gift entrusted with taking it to those who are struggling in Jerusalem and dispensing that gift in the right way. Look how they're described, as I mentioned before, verse 23, an honor to Christ. They are the glory of Christ. Their lives make the invisible God visible. 
that should be in keeping with our central aim as a church, isn't it? Look at who they are. They're not swindlers peddling bad theology. They're not lining their, their pockets or refueling private jets or living lavish lifestyles. They are Titus. Titus, verse 16. Enthusiastic about the church. He's enthusiastic about the Corinthian church. He loves them. Eager to see what their giving might do for those who are in poverty and struggling in the churches in Jerusalem and as an advance of that, recognizing what that might achieve if they were strengthened and equipped and resourced, how the gospel has already spread amazingly from them. Think of what this gift can do. Titus is thrilled and excited about that. And then we have, of course, he also shows this willingness to serve, doesn't he? How we need people who love the church and love to serve in this way and handle these gifts then you've got let me call him the preacher in verse 18 famous in all the churches for his service to the gospel i think there's a better translation that he is a he is a preacher he's a proclaimer of the gospel and this is the church and the churches in the area as well it seems have elected this man maybe by a show of hands who knows even a church meeting this man loves jesus let's send him this man knows the gospel. He's, he's got the very foundation for what, what we need to make sure that this money is going to be dispensed properly. He loves Jesus. He loves the gospel. And then verse 22, one referred to as the brother, one who has been tested and proven to be earnest, zealous for the mission. The word there uh, to say that he has been tested is the same word that's used to uh, describe what happens when you put that coin in your mouth and check the validity, check to see whether it's fake or not. He has been tested and he has been proven earnest. He's the right kind of guy that you want uh, in control of the finances. And I'm glad that we as a church have, have godly men and women serving on our finance team. I don't think we should ever be taking them for granted. It's often uh, an unsung task uh, and uh, they are not uh, very often thanked for the work that they do but pray for them thank them for their their labor in this particular way their scrutiny of the finances uh, they're serving us we know that john macarthur has been our treasurer he is outgoing uh, and incoming is bruce goodbrand into that role but he is joined uh, by david dennis uh, willem van der Meer. i hope i got that right sorry alistair hay anna pagan Mary Hume, Rachel Kerr, Trevor Bailey, all have, all have a, a part to play in the administration, as well as, of course, many of us. You see, let's not forget that, that we all, many of us, have responsibility in our, the administration of gifts at, at maybe a sub-level from what these, the finance team, uh, in terms of their handling. Some of us have responsibility for budgets uh, or sub-budgets that, uh, that we handle ourselves. We need to be ensuring that in every respect that we are pursuing gospel gain and gospel growth in these things, in our administration of these things. That we don't just spend wastefully, shall I say, but that we are careful with the budgets that we have been entrusted with and we maintain a very, very serious level of integrity in the way we handle the money that has been entrusted to us. Let's not be wasteful. Let's see what can be done, even as we make sure that we keep a close eye on, on our budgets. If there are things that will further display the glory of Christ, 
Let's give to that. If there are ways that by cutting back on one or two things that we may better channel resources, perhaps we should do that. Let's not just assume that because we have money allocated to us that we are just free to spend it as we want. Let's think it through carefully. Let's be discerning in that respect and let's be the glory of Christ in our handling of these things. We want to avoid... Paul says, any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift, we're taking pains to do what's right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of men. We understand that accountability and transparency in the administration of gifts is so very important. We should be able to give an account for how we handle these things. Why is this important? Again, it's because the reputation of Jesus is at stake the reputation of Jesus is very much at stake through selfless sacrificial willing joyful giving we can see Christ magnified in and through us as a church and glorified all the more in this city and throughout our world and through the careful handling of these gifts channeling as much as we can to the spread of the gospel knowing it's no futile investment but very much worthwhile churches may be planted in this city in this nation across the world the gospel may be spread. People may become believers. We pray that would be the case. And this, this very thing displays Christ. You know, you can tell what matters most to people by what they leave behind when they depart from this world. And I was reading something by John Piper this week which spoke of what Jesus left behind. He said, what Jesus left behind is more astonishing when you think of what he didn't leave. He left no house, no clothes, no money, no business, no portrait, no buildings. So scant an earthly trace did Jesus leave that some people have claimed he was a myth. <laughs> but the only thing he left behind were people who believed his gospel. Jesus left his word, that is his teaching, and his church, at that time only a few hundred people. And these two legacies that he left behind changed the course of history. They are, in fact, what history is all about. Everything passes away. Rulers, nations, professions, species, industries, families, possessions, political movements, houses, heirlooms, photos, books, cars, schools, degrees, careers, really every earthly thing we cherish, except for Jesus' word and Jesus' church those were his priorities those were his legacy 
the question is, are they ours? Are these the kind of things that we are investing in so that we will leave a legacy that will last an eternity rather than maybe just 20, 30, 40, 60, 100, maybe 200 years if you're semi-famous? Are these yours? Are you investing in spreading his fame by spreading his teaching across the world? Are you, are you focused on giving to the building up of his church so that he might be glorified and magnified? What kind of legacy will your legacy reveal matters most to you? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich yet for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich he died on the cross to take away your sins to clear your spiritual debt and boy were we in the red and to give us a clean slate, a firm place to stand, living and trusting in him. That we might have every spiritual blessing in Christ, riches that nothing in this world compares to. Have you taken hold of that legacy? Maybe you're here today, you're not a Christian. I pray you will today. Confess your sins, believe in him and join us in this effort and this endeavor to make much of Jesus Christ and spread the glory of his name throughout the world. Let's pray together.